everybody, welcome to your weekly sermon from Brad Tuttle Ministries. I am so glad you decided to join me today. Uh, we are going to get into a subject that is, I would say it's near and dear to my heart, and it should be near and dear to the hearts of all of us that are uh, on this and watching this today. And uh, I'm going to start into a, uh, a new series of sermons. Um, I guess you would call it a sermon series that I think, uh, will, I, I believe, will take you on a journey and myself on a journey to a better and deeper understanding of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And he is uh, a subject that is uh, definitely worth the time uh, to spend. So I don't care how long this takes. I'm going to take my time on each sermon or each time we gather, and I'm going to stretch this out as far as it needs to go because I want to learn as much about this as you do. Yes, we're going to be talking about all the things that immediately pop into people's heads, you know, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and, you know, the gifts of the Spirit and, the you know, the, the speaking in tongues. And, you know, we'll get to all those uh, things that immediately pop into people's minds when you talk about the Holy Spirit, but he's such more, he's so much more vastly broad than that and just those topics. But we're going to uh, get into this. I'm going to call the sermon series, Who is the Holy Spirit? And this is part one, the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. And I think, you know, some of these things, as I have looked at them and if I've studied them, um, have brought new understanding to me, new truths to me uh, regarding who he is and uh, and what he has played a part of. Some of this has been very eye-opening to me, some things that I knew, but I guess I didn't really focus on. Uh, yet, again, yet I knew they were there, but uh, it's it's very revealing when you when you really take the time to to look at this. So, who is the Holy Spirit, part one, the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament? And so I wrote down, someone asked, why, why would we do a study like this? Because, you know, is it important to spend this much time, several lessons, several weeks uh, in this series on the Holy Spirit? Yes, it is vitally important because I will honestly say, having been in the ministry since 1987 um, and have, having, having been around a lot of different aspects of ministry, uh, you see a real almost uh, neglecting of the Spirit. A lot of people have gotten afraid to talk about the Holy Spirit. I actually have a book here on my desk titled, Who's Afraid of the Holy Spirit? Uh, you have some denominations or um, just people in general uh, that are churches that are afraid to get into and dive into the Holy Spirit because they're afraid they're going to engage people and cause them to be fanatics or fanaticism or whatever. But um, we need to really get a grasp on this because he is the power source in our life. He is, in which we're going to totally see that some some today and in the following weeks, that he is the source of uh, giving us the ability to do everything that we do. Amen. So let me start off by saying that uh, there's people that are in ministry that can get off track because they kind of learn to do without the Holy Spirit. They kind of learn to do ministry uh, without him. In other words, and I wrote this down, I want to get this as I said it, their teaching and, and or their sermon making is done as an academic work from a cognitive type of faith. In other words, Christianity from the neck up. 
And a lot of times when you when you approach the spirit that way and you approach your teaching of the spirit that way, again, it becomes very academic. You 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 get into your human logical mind and you try to throw out anything that is in the supernatural realm. And that's how the Holy Spirit operates anyways in the realm of the supernatural. But uh, some people totally keep him in a box and don't let him be everything and don't teach people all that he is and all that he's done and all that he can be to them. And uh, that's a, that's a shame. So what's needed is a wake up call in the church. And if there's anything that the nation needs, it needs people, number one, to hear the gospel and get saved. And then it needs those saved people to be operating in the power of the Holy Spirit, that they will go out and be the witnesses they've been called to be in the power of the spirit. They could be effective and do the things that God has called them to do. Remember, Jesus said, you know, go out into all the world, preach the gospel, lay hands on the sick and see them recover, cast out demons. I don't believe that was just for the disciples he had in front of him. I believe that was for us today, and that's what we're supposed to be operating in as men and women of God, not only those who are in called ministry, but also people that are just out there uh, as men and women of God, uh, just living their lives as a believer. They should be operating in the power of the Holy Spirit and working the works that Jesus gave us the power to accomplish through the Spirit. So I hope these sermons will... Uh, move us all to take this subject matter much more seriously and that of the ministry of the Holy Spirit today, not just before, but today. So we're asking the question today, if the Holy Spirit did not go away in the first century, and it seems like a lot of people preach that today, that he doesn't do anything else now. It was all it was all to establish, all, all the miraculous, all the things he did was just to establish the first century church. Yes, it was, but it's also for the church today. So then we have, we ask the question then, who is he? Who is he to us today? What's he doing today? So an understanding and an appreciation of the Holy Spirit is indeed very important to me. And I would like to think that it's, it should be very important to you. So, and before we can correctly understand the works the ministry, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we must come to know the Spirit himself. Who is he? Before we get into all the gifts and all the manifestation of the gifts that he can operate through us in, we need to know who he is. Um, so there's a value of studying him because we notice his, his prominence in so many areas. You look at the prominence of the spirit in the Bible. The spirit is all through the Bible. The prominence of the spirit in the life of Christ. Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit. The, his involvement in the birth of Jesus, his presence at the baptism by John that came down upon Jesus, his presence during the temptations of Jesus in the wilderness, his power during Jesus's ministry, the prominence of the Spirit in the Christian's life, his involvement in our becoming Christians, and on and on and on. He is preeminent. He, he, he is of much prominence all, all, all throughout the Old Testament and the New. And many people probably wonder, well, where is he in the Old Testament? That's what we're going to learn some today. So suffice it to say that he's so involved in our lives that it behooves us to get a proper relationship uh, so that we can operate uh, with the Spirit as effectively as possible. And might I say, though, there is a lot of subject. Um, there, the, he is the subject of a lot of error. A lot of people teach a lot of things that are very error-filled. Much error is taught about the nature of the Holy Spirit. 
Some think he's an impersonal force expressive of God's power. He's not. He's a divine person. You got God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Again, others think he is a, a Jesus in another form. He's not. He is God the Holy Spirit, not God the Son. He has his own office and his own tasks that he accomplishes. A lot of people misunderstand the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to get into that. We're going to really look at what what is that? Is that for us today? And I think that's going to be an exciting week when we talk about that. Uh, they misunderstand the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the spirit, the, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the spiritual gifts of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit. So I hopefully I'm going to cover that. And I want you to know one thing. I look at all this from from both sides. Those who want to write it all off, and those who believe it's all for today. And if, you, if you've been a part of my ministry at all, you know that I, I, I really, I don't want to use the word struggle. I, I fight, I, 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 I'm always discussing this in my mind, making sure that when I bring this to people that I know I'm bringing what's really truth and not just what I think. Um, so if we're going to experience real supernatural Christian living, we must come to a place of understanding and a place of surrender to the Holy Spirit. We didn't. We need to know, know this. He's always speaking to us, directing us, encouraging us, and always trying to help us make the right decisions in life. And we'll get into that a little bit later. Another sermon that he's our he's our wisdom. He's our guide. And whether or not we listen to him, he is still there on the inside of us because that's his job assignment uh, that he received from the Father. So, to the extent that we listen to the Holy Spirit and follow his advice. That is the extent to which we benefit from the Holy Spirit in our lives. So for him to help us, it requires our ears, our hearts, our trust, and this is big, and our obedience. And I'm going to say this right now. I don't have this in here for today, but I'm going to probably say this through every single. A lot of people are saying, I want more of the Holy Spirit. I want more. Let me give you a great uh, comeback to that. What you don't need is more of the Holy Spirit. You, He needs more of you. It's not so much that you need more of Him. He needs more of you. And that's where we come into the whole thing of complete obedience and yielding our whole lives in order for us to be truly, completely filled with His presence in our life. And we don't want to have inferior results. We don't want to fall short of the supernatural life that it's available to us. I don't. I want to operate in that supernatural life that God has made available to me through the Holy Spirit and through his power. He's the spirit of truth. I go speak at a church called the spirit of truth. So put aside any of your fears, objections, and let him, let, let this sink into you and let this bring you truth. Um, amen. So what does the Bible say about the identity of the Holy Spirit? Simply put, the, the Bible declares that the Holy Spirit is God. Again, he's not just a force. He's not just some impersonal force. The Holy Spirit is God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He's not an it. And I, I've said this in one of my previous, uh, I did a sermon before this, the wonderful Holy Spirit, where I just kind of talked about how he's operated in my life in different ways. And I did another one called Operating in the Power of the Holy Spirit, which I think those both birthed in me desire to do this. But in one of them, I talked about when I first got saved, I went to a Pentecostal church that was not quite understanding of who he was. And they'd sing a song and they it would go like, I got it. I got it. Something about that Holy Ghost. I got it. And uh, everybody's saying it. I got it. I got it. It's not an it. He's a he. 
he is a divine person. He's not an it. He's not an impersonal force. He's God, the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us he is a divine person. He has mind, he has will, and he has emotions. Um, the fact that the Holy Spirit is God is clearly seen in many scriptures, and I wanted to use this one as an example. It's found in Acts chapter 5. Let me look through the word here, and let me get over to Acts chapter 5. And it says this. It says, all right, it says, But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Remember, he said earlier, why, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? To lie to the Holy Spirit. Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. So Peter confronts Ananias in this verse as to why he lied to the Holy Spirit and tells him that he had not lied to man, but to God. So it's clear declaration here that lying to the Holy Spirit is lying to God. We can also not know that the Holy Spirit is God because he possesses the characteristics of God. We look at his omnipresence, and we see that in Psalms 139, 7 through 8. It says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. He's everywhere. Amen. He's everywhere. Look, let's look at 1 Corinthians 2, uh, verses 10 through 11. 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 11. It says, but God has revealed them to us through his spirit for the spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. So now we're seeing the omniscience of the Holy Spirit. That's an attribute of God. But God has revealed them to us through, this Holy, through his spirit for the spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. Verse 11, for what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of man which is in him even so no one knows the things of god except the spirit of god so he is omnipresent he is omniscient he is all-knowing he is all wisdom and we can know that the holy spirit is indeed a divine person because he possesses a mind emotions and a will the holy spirit thinks and knows we see that in first corinthians 2 10 write these down he thinks and knows the Holy Spirit can be grieved. We see that in Ephesians 4.30. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us. Romans 8, 26 through 27. He makes decisions according to his will. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 11. So he thinks and knows he can be grieved. He intercedes for us. And he makes decisions according to his own will. So the Holy Spirit is God. He is the third member of the Godhead, not less than the other two. They are all co-equal, co-eternal, distinct persons within the Godhead. Again, he's not an impersonal force. As God, and I love this, as God, the Holy Spirit can truly function as the comforter and counselor that Jesus promised he would be. And we see that in John 14, 16 through 7. So John 14, 16 through 7. We turn over there. John 14, 16 through 17. 
it says here in my Bible, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. Verse 17, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you can know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So he functions then as the comfort, comforter and the counselor, but he can truly function in his offices because he is God. Some may say the Holy Spirit is God. We have a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit, just like we have a personal relationship with the other two persons of the Holy Trinity. I have a personal relationship with God the Father, personal relationship with God the Son, with Jesus, and I have a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. That's awesome, right? That's awesome. I have a personal relationship. Are you, are you seeing that a lot of times, you know, all we hear about is God the Father. You know, all we hear about is the work that God the Father does or that Jesus does. A lot of times we're not hearing about the Holy Spirit because people, I, again, they're not knowledgeable enough to really realize how important it is to talk about him or they're afraid for some reason that they don't, that uh, it's going to, I don't know, it's going to get out of hand or something. I don't know. So before we get into the New Testament, in the next few weeks or months, we're going to get into the New Testament aspects of the Holy Spirit. But before we do that, we need to see him in the Old Testament. So he's throughout the whole Bible. And this is very interesting to me. The role of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament is much like his role in the New. There are some very significant differences, and we're going to talk about that. But I, didn't, I don't know if you knew this or not, but in the Old Testament, in Genesis 1, 1 through 2, we see at the moment of creation, the Holy Spirit was there. Um, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form or void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And let me say real quickly, prior to that moment, there was nothing. There was not a big bang. God didn't make the universe from pre-existing building blocks. He started from scratch. It's a supernatural work of God. Don't let your pastor or any teacher tell you anything that evolution was involved in any way, shape, or form with God's creating everything. He created ex nihilo. That's Latin for out of nothing. He created it out of nothing. There was nothing before that. There was not a big bang. God just created it out of nothing. So again, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Isn't that powerful? His power in creation brought forth light out of darkness and order out of disorder. Now get this. Thusly, one of the key works of the Holy Spirit is to bring things to life and to set things in order. Remember, in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul said this, God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. The Holy Spirit is a God of order. He is a God of order. Remember, he put everything into order in this universe. When we speak of the role of the Holy Spirit, we can discern four general areas in which the Holy Spirit works. Remember, we're still, we're still looking into the Old Testament. So there, there's these four main general areas. Again, regeneration, indwelling or infilling, restraint, and empowerment for service. 
So we can discern these four general areas, regeneration, indwelling, restraint, and it goes into the old and into the new. So evidence of these works of the Holy Spirit is just, in present, is just as present in the Old Testament as it is in the New Testament. And so this first area of the Spirit's work is in the area of the process of regeneration. I don't know if you know this or not, but I hope you, you, if you don't, you're going to really be blown away by this. Regeneration. Another word for regeneration is rebirth, from which we get the concept of being born again. Regeneration. It's equal to being born again. There's a classic proof text for this in John 3, 3. It says, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again or unless he's regenerated. Um, and here is a great verse or verses or section of verses that will specifically tell us that we will be regenerated by who? By the Holy Spirit. In other words, you came to faith in Christ through the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. Remember, Creator and puts all things in order. At the exact moment of our conversion to the Lord, we were regenerated and we were um, regenerated by the Holy Spirit at the exact moment of our conversion. He did that regenerating work in our heart that brought us to that place of faith. It wasn't me one day thinking, I need to get saved. It was my time, my place, my moment. The, re the Holy Spirit worked on my heart at that moment, turned my heart, and I placed my faith in Jesus Christ. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. Titus chapter 3, write that down, verses 4 through 7, says this. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life so this begs the question so there you see it by the washing of regeneration and by the renewal of the holy spirit that's what it says in the new testament about regeneration what does this have to do with the holy spirit's work in the old testament and this is fascinating so later on in his dialogue with uh jesus's dialogue with nicodemus jesus says this to him in john 3 10 you are Israel's teacher, and you do you not understand these things? You are Israel's teacher, and do you not understand these things? The point he was making, that Jesus was making, is that Nicodemus should have known the truth of the Holy Spirit is the source of new life because it's revealed in the Old Testament, right? So let's look at some examples. So Moses told the Israelites prior to entering the Promised Land that the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. That's Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. So the description of the circumcision of the heart is the work of God's Spirit and can be accomplished only by him. So this regenerating work is happening by the Spirit even in the Old Testament. When you look in the, the Old Testament, we see the theme of regeneration in the book of Ezekiel. Let me read you one example, Ezekiel 36, 
26 through 29, Ezekiel 36, verses 26 through 29, he says, And I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. So the fruit of the Spirit's regenerating work is faith. We see that in Ephesians 2.8. And we know that there were men of faith in the Old Testament because Hebrews 11 names many of them. So listen to this. This, this, is, this was, uh, I knew it, but I didn't, maybe didn't know how to put it into words. If faith is produced by the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit, then this must be the case for the Old Testament saints who looked ahead to the cross believing what God had promised in regard to their redemption would come to pass. So it's a foreshadowing uh, of things to come, but, but their, their, their regeneration and their heart and their life still came by the power of the Spirit. Um, that faith was produced by the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. So in the Old Testament, they saw the promises and welcomed them from a distance, Hebrews eleven thirteen, 13, accepting by faith that what God had promised, he would also bring to pass. Are you getting that? They're looking ahead, and they welcomed the promises of God from a distance, and they accepted the promises of God by faith of what God had promised and knowing they would, he would also bring that to pass. So still, it's all by faith, but it's all by the regenerating work of the Spirit in their life to bring them to that place of faith. So the second aspect of the Spirit's work in the Old Testament is indwelling or infilling. Um, here's, here's where the major difference uh, between the Spirit's roles in the Old and New Testaments is apparent. The New Testament talks about a permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit in believers. You can see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 through 20. When we are regenerated by faith in the Holy Spirit and we put our trust in Christ as a Lord and Savior of our life, we are baptized into the body by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us at that moment. Um, but it is a permanent dwelling. The difference in the Old Testament is, so we placed our faith for Christ, we placed our faith in Christ for salvation and then the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us, again, that's a permanent indwelling. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14 talks about it as, an, as a guarantee of our inheritance. It says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, hallelujah, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. So the moment you were converted, the spirit came to live inside of you. That is the guarantee of your inheritance. We are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And people, I'm, I grew up and didn't grow up, but when I first started going to church after I got saved at 27, I was uh, going somewhere where people kept thinking they had to keep getting saved because they lost their salvation. Once you're saved, once the spirit comes to live and dwell in you, the devil can't take him out of you. It's a permanent indwelling. Some people may not act like it, and we're going to talk about why that is later on. But once he comes to live in you, it's a permanent indwelling. In contrast to this work in the New Testament, the indwelling in the Old Testament was selective 
and temporary. So in the new, he came to live in us. It was permanent. In the Old Testament, it was selective and temporary. And we're going to read some chapter verse here. So the Spirit came upon such Old Testament people as Joshua. We see this in Numbers 27, 18. He came uh, upon David. We see it in 1 Samuel 16, 12 through 23. He came upon even Saul. We see that in 1 Samuel 10, 10, where it says, When they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him, Saul, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied among them. And we're going to talk about Saul a little bit in a moment. So in the book of Judges, we see the Spirit coming upon the various judges whom God raised up to deliver Israel from their oppressors. So New Testament is a permanent dwelling. Old Testament is selective and temporary. So the Holy Spirit came upon individuals in the Old Testament for specific tasks. All right. The indwelling was a sign of God's favor upon that individual, like in the case of David. And if God's favor left that individual, the spirit would then depart. For example, in Saul's case, in 1 Samuel 16, 14, where it says, Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. Ooh, that was, that's one of the saddest things in the Bible, um, the Holy Spirit being taken from Saul. Um, finally, the spirit coming upon an individual doesn't always, listen to this, doesn't always indicate, this is in the Old Testament, the coming upon an individual doesn't always indicate that the person, that the, that person's spiritual condition. In other words, we look at Saul and Samson and many of the judges, they weren't, per, you know, basically living, um, uh, you know, they did a lot of stupid things, but the spirit of God came upon them for specific tasks. So again, while in the Old Testament, the Spirit only indwells believers, and that indwelling is permanent, the Spirit came upon certain Old Testament individuals for a specific task, irrespective of their spiritual condition. Let me say it again. In the, Old, in the New Testament, the Spirit only indwells believers, true believers, and that indwelling then is permanent, the Spirit came upon Old Testament individuals for a specific task, irrespective of their spiritual condition. Once the task was completed, the Spirit presumably departed from that person. Wow, right? So the third aspect of the Spirit's work in the Old Testament is His restraint of sin, which is still happening today, but God at any moment can release that restraint. Genesis 6.3 would seem to indicate that the Holy Spirit restrains man's sinfulness and that restraint can be removed when God's patience regarding sin reaches a boiling point. Uh, we see this thought echoed in 2 Thessalonians 2.3-8 where in the end times there's going to come a growing apostasy. You know, we all say that we are in the end times. One of the indications of that is this growing apostasy. Uh, and you're starting, if you look around our own country, there's a growing apostasy. Uh, there's such a hatred against the Bible, the things of God. Persecution's now coming to America in regards to Christians. They're trying to be canceled. Understand something as a believer, I can never be canceled. Uh, Jesus can't be canceled. The Holy Spirit can't be canceled. 
Um, so there's this growing apostasy, and it's going to signal the coming of God's judgment. It says this in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 through 8 on the, uh, regarding the aspect of God restraining. It says, Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion first comes, and the man of lawlessness is revealed. That's the Antichrist. The son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way, the man of lawlessness. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. We're talking about this aspect of the Spirit's work of the restraint of sin. We're using an Old Testament example of that. So until the preordained time, when the man of lawlessness will be revealed, the Holy Spirit re restrains the power of Satan and will release it only when it suits his purposes to do so. Wow, so he, he there's a restraining power in the New Testament and there's a restraining power of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. And the fourth and final aspect of the Spirit's work in the Old Testament is the granting of ability for service. So we see this in the New we see it in the Old. So much like the way spiritual gifts operate in the New Testament, the Spirit would gift certain individuals for service. Consider the example of Bezalel in Exodus 31, 2 through 5. He was gifted to do a lot of the artwork relating to the tabernacle. And man, when this artwork they did was, was stupendous. Um, he was uh, gifted by the Holy Spirit to do that. We see these individuals are gifted to perform certain tasks, such as ruling over people or ruling over the people of Israel. That was Saul or David. They were given these gifts to, to create, uh, to do the artwork, to perform tasks, such as ruling over the people of Israel. That was all by the power of the Holy Spirit, by that gift to be able to do that. All in all, the Spirit performs, again, much of the same functions in the Old Testament times as he does in the current age. So the major difference, again, is the permanent indwelling of the Spirit in believers now. And as Jesus said regarding this change in the Spirit's ministry in John 14, 7, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Aren't you glad that he lives in you? We need to see him in the Old Testament as well. So that's, that's part of who he is. He's, been, he's all through the Word of God. It's not just in the book of Acts. He didn't just show up in Acts 2-4. Um, that's when he came to baptize people in his spirit. And, uh, but he's moving in creation. That was his, the power of the spirit operating in the creating of all things and putting them in order all from the beginning. So that's why he's so important to study and learn because of his, his prominence within the Word of God from the very beginning of the Old Testament all through the New Testament. I wanted to make one last short point um, about evangelism and the Holy Spirit. I just wanted to throw this in on our first, and we'll talk about this more later. But in referring to the Holy Spirit, Jesus affirmed in John 16, 8, 
in regards to evangelism. When he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Holy Spirit's job is to bring conviction, to convict the world of sin. And the Lord uses this legal, con this legal term, convict, in order to highlight that even if man can point out error, it is the Spirit that brings conviction of sin. It's the Holy Spirit. Man may point things out, say, well, that seems like it's an error, but the Holy Spirit's the one that brings conviction. That's why we need more preaching that brings conviction. That's the problem with the church today. Not operating in all the fullness of the Spirit. We want to do all these la-di-da sermons and make everybody feel good because people don't like to feel the conviction of the Spirit. That's why you got to preach on sin so people feel convicted and then do something about it. Either get saved or if they're a believer, they get it right before God. People don't want to hear stuff like this because they want to hear all the things that are going to make them laugh and make them ha 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 ha. That's so funny. He's so funny. He tells such good jokes. I like him because of that. Understand something. I like the people that preach to me that bring conviction upon my life because that's the that's the stuff that makes me want to see my life in particular areas where I need to change. So always welcome convicting preaching in Jesus' name. Um, I heard somebody say, actually, I think it was David Wilkerson said, well, someone says, isn't he the comforter? He goes, well, when, when you hear the convicting power of the Holy Spirit come upon you through preaching, it's then going to make you get your life right, either get saved or get your life or, or, or get your life right in Christ. And guess what? Then in that state, you'll find real comfort. So you need to have comfort in your life because you know you are where you're supposed to be in Christ. Amen. So we need convicting preaching. So the Holy Spirit shows the offense, reveals the foolishness of sin, points out the consequences, convinces of guilt, and leads the sinner to repentance. I remember preaching a sermon one time, and there happened to be a whole bunch of new people that came to the service. And I don't really care if people like what I'm going to preach or not. I do what I've been called to do. So I preached on my sermon topic was the cancer of compromise. And all these new people who are probably expecting some very easy peasy type of sermon were alarmed and shocked. You could see it on their faces. I don't know they knew what to think, but that's the conviction of the Holy Spirit and thank God for it. So the Holy Spirit, again, shows the offense, reveals the foolishness of sin, points out the consequences, convinces of guilt, and leads the sinner to repentance. That's, he does all of it. He convicts. He points out the consequences. He reveals the foolishness of the sin, and he leads the sinner to repentance. Is he important to talk about? Is he important for us to know about? You better believe it. He is the church's greatest ally in the evangelizing effort. He is the church's greatest ally. And there's going to be more on that in the coming sermons because that's part of what he does too. I can't wait to talk about all this. So without the help and the filling of the Spirit, the evangelistic task of the church will fail. Remember, the first thing Jesus said was when the Holy Spirit came, I am going, you're going to receive power from the Holy Spirit and you will be my witnesses. What happened to Peter when the Holy Spirit came upon him in power. That guy who 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 uh, 
didn't even admit he was with Jesus three times to a teenage girl around a campfire when the Holy Spirit came, baptized him, just poured down upon his life. He became a bold preaching machine. So we need him to be in our lives and at the, and in the church to, to deal with the task of evangelization. So it should be evident from this subject we're talking about that the Holy Spirit is a very important thing to discuss. And I'm going to try to cover this, as I said, as much as I, as I possibly can. So as our understanding of the Holy Spirit increases, so will our appreciation for him. And I'm going to go into the Word. I'm going to go into some studies and some things to really find out and try to bring you everything that you need to have to fully arm you, but really encourage you and really instigate you. I want this sermon series to bring you to a point where you will completely yield yourselves to the Holy Spirit. And let me say this, and I think it's important to say basically in everything, if you want to move in the power of the Spirit, you have to yield your life. Remember, it's not I want more of him. He needs more of me, which means I need to sweep the rooms clean of all the stuff in my life that doesn't need to be there. I need to sweep the rooms out. Every nook and cranny, every little nook and cranny of my life, of every room in my life, I need to sweep it out that the Holy Spirit might fully immerse me in himself, thusly in his power, his anointing, his gifts, and all the things that come with him. I need that because in order for me to function in the world and to effectively do everything God's called me to do, I need the power of the Spirit and the only way to really walk in that true filling, filled up of the Spirit is to live my, my life where I am completely yielded to Him. I think that has to do with what we watch on TV. I think it even has to do with, some, with music. We need to get out everything that's of the world out of our life and totally yield ourselves to the things of the Spirit. If you really want to be used, if you really want God to mightily use you, that's what it's going to take. There's a cost to it, but it's well worth the cost. So let me give you a thought to think about as we close. The great man of God, A.W. Tozer, he once asked this question. What will happen to the church if the Holy Spirit is withdrawn? He replied, nothing will happen to the church as the church does not depend upon the Holy Spirit. And I asked the question, are we living today in such a tragedy is the spirit not in the churches the most important thing that we have the greatest gift that jesus gave to us was the gift of the holy spirit god the holy spirit lives in us and wants to baptize us in his power wants to fill us with his power his wisdom his leading his guiding he wants to fill us and he wants to mightily use us. I want to be used. I believe you want to be used. It's time to let the Holy Spirit do in our life what he wants to do. I can't wait to get to these next sermons. I'm telling you something, before I go today, yield yourself to the power of the Holy Spirit and let him fill you full of his power. In Jesus' name, let me pray for you right now. Father, I just come before you right now in Jesus' name. I pray every single person out there, I literally, I pray they'd raise their hands and open their hearts and say, Holy Spirit, fill me. Jesus, I, I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. I, I pray my heart 
is wiped clean of all sin and filth of the world. And now, Holy Spirit, fill me. Fill me with your power. Baptize me in your power. Baptize me in your power. I need the power. Holy Spirit, I need your power in my life to do what God has called me to do. I need the power. I need your power in my life to do daily what I need to accomplish. I want to do everything I do. Tell him right now. I want to do everything I do each day in the power of the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, I yield my life to you. I submit my life and I let you fill me every single area of my life. Take control of my eyes, take control of my mouth, take control of my thoughts today. I yield them over to you so that I might be fully filled and empowered by your, your work to accomplish upon this earth as God has called me to accomplish it. And I thank you for that. Again, yield to him, Father, fill him, Holy Spirit, fill him, Holy Spirit, fill him. Jesus, baptize him in the Spirit. Baptize him in the Spirit. Fill him, Holy Spirit. Fill him right now in Jesus' mighty name. And all of us said together, amen and amen. Well, God bless you for listening to this today. There's much more to come. Walk yielded to the Spirit. He's in the Bible from the beginning all the way to the end. He is God, the Holy Spirit and he lives in you. Let him fill you up. Amen. God bless you.